Hey everyone, we're back with another week of Find Your Film. This is for the week covering Friday, November 5th, 2021. It's been a, it, I think it's been a very eventful seven days. I've just been really, I've been in my, my home editing interviews, Eric Holmes' interviews for a movie we're covering. And then I, I, Eric, I have to do another Eric Holmes interview. Eric, Eric Holmes, your voice has been in, in my earbuds for the last seven days. What say you, partner? What are you doing? Holmes hath no fury. Huh? Hey, Greg. How's it going? I'm here. You're like Mike Wallace in my freaking ear. 60 minutes, more like 120 minutes. Bruce, Berkey, Calgon, take me away. What have you been doing? What have you been doing with your time? Uh, uh, well, living your he's, life? What? He's been in your ear, but I've I've been Uh-oh. somewhere else, and I'm not going to say where. Okay, this is in your heart. This is in your heart. This is an explicit podcast, but Bruce has something called decorum, and he's not going to mention where he's been. Thank you so much, Bruce, for those very kind words. We only have two. Let's movies. just say a purple uh, envelope is on the way. Oh, oh, purple. Okay, this is very good. This is a movie called Okay, the Beta Test, which we all three of us did review last week. All three of us loved it. This week, you're going to get. Speaking of interviews. Eric Holmes' interviews with PJ McCabe and Jim Cummings, the directors and co-stars of the new film, The Beta Test, and it also co-stars who, Bruce? One of our favorite actresses? Uh, Virginia Newcomb. Virginia Newcomb from? The Death of Dick Long. Oh my gosh, that movie's so amazing. The Death of Dick Long. How many times have you seen that, Eric Holmes? Only two times? Once? Uh, probably like three or four, I think. Three or four? How about you, Bruce? Twice? At least twice. I think it's two and a half. It's definitely mm. over two a little bit. I don't think I saw the whole third time. Okay, Eric, three, three or four times by the third or fourth time. Are you tired of the movie? Or are you still love? You're still loving it? No. In fact, when we talked about it in movie mainline days, that's kind of the area where I was watching it the most. And I haven't seen it since, but oh shoot, maybe I'll just watch it again. That is such an awesome movie. I, I, you know what? Speaking of which, we're eventually getting, going to get to our physical media coverage. This week is a little bit slammed. We're definitely going to get to it next week. But you know, one thing that all three of us have not done, each each of us probably need to have a Blu-ray of The Death of Dick Long in our respective libraries. Are we right? I mean, that's an amazing. Yes. 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 So that's one of these movies. Listeners, if you have seen this movie, The Death of Dick Long, or important, more, you know, actually for this week, most importantly, the beta test, check that out. Tell us what you think of that movie. Tell us what you think of Eric Holmes as an interviewer of Jim Cummings. Does he do a good job? Does, is, or is he as horrible as I am as an interviewer? Well, what, what do you think, Bruce, Eric Holmes or me? Who's a better interviewer? Come on. 60 minutes. It's a, this is like a Sophie's choice. Okay. No, it's not. It's, it's great. <laughs> Who is closer to death? Let me think. Oh, yeah. That, that might Eric. actually be me. That you actually know might be me. I'm I'm gonna, you're not making it easy for me, guys. Here, here, here's, how, here's, how, here's how much my body's falling apart. I got real sick a couple of weeks ago. Yes, and I was just I coughing up a bunch of stuff. And I think I might have <laughs> broke or bruised my rib. Because now I, it hurts to breathe. Because every really? time I... Rib goes, you know, expands and contracts. Oh, it hurts so bad. But I'm on ibuprofen oh, now, so. Oh my it, goodness! I, okay, get 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 some good medical coverage, Eric Holmes, because you're you're going to be in the. Yes. Are you starting to glow? Is your rib cage starting to glow a little bit? Are you like coughing <laughs> black stuff? <laughs> yeah. Oh shit! Man. It might be something else. Yes. Oh well, you know. Hopefully, you can get that those rib checks ribs uh, checked out, even though you're working on your 
movie and you're going to be directing very, very soon, sooner than later, Eric Holmes, and you're also working on your game. You need a good doctor to help mend your ribs up because you're going to be doing Find Your Film until you reach the age, the ripe old age of 90. You're going to be taking over this 40, 50 year podcast after Bruce and I expire, but we're not expired now. We're we're still living right now. Me and you, Bruce, we're, we're the old guys here. Eric's the young one. He's going to be the next generation to find your film this week. We're covering two big movies. It's an interesting, it's an interesting connection. We have one shot, a movie starring Scott Atkins, and there's another movie called Hell Hath No Fury that's directed by Jesse V. Johnson. Eric Holmes, can you tell our listeners why is there some kind of simpatico or connection between one mm-hmm. shot and Hell Hath No Fury? Do you know the answer to that? Well, let's see. Jesse B. Johnson, who directed Hell Hath No Fury, when what movies did we do? He directed Vengement. And he directed the uh, the Dead Collector movies. And, yes, uh, wonderful movies. Oh, you know what? Scott Atkins was in those, wasn't he? Wasn't he? Yeah, he certainly yeah. was. I was missing. I miss him in Hell Hath No Fury. But this is the cool thing when uh, when teams break apart. Sometimes you get two awesome things separately, and that's the case this week. So I'm pretty excited about it. Bruce Perky, do you remember the first time Eric Holmes waxed poetic about Scott Atkins to you? Do you remember? Was it our movie mainline days do you, do you i remember that very vividly it was yeah I, I was like i'm not an action guy so i'm like i i don't know i don't know but i watched avengement like the next week and i was like okay now i know <laughs> so yeah, now, now you know so it's going to be interesting to hear what bruce perky has to say about one shot and hell hath no fury these are two very different films but they sort of um I was going to use the word languish uh, they, they sort of exist within the same kind of universe and we're going to get to a reason why because it actually goes to Eric Holmes' own interview with Scott Atkins, which I thought was a very good question you asked Scott Atkins. We'll talk about that during the, during the review of One Shot. Now, also on this program, Bruce, you're going to have a couple of recommendations. You have a Hulu recommendation that's from 1932. Uh, there's, this, can you just, there's this guy named Michael Curtiz. I, I think he's popular. What, what, is, what has Curtiz done? He did a movie, what? Something about Sam and a piano? What did we do? Uh, are you talking about? Dr. X? I don't remember that in Dr. X at all. But <laughs> very good. He, he did make Dr. X. <laughs> oh, he made Dr. X. Okay, that's a very... I was very interested. There's going to be a movie from 1933 that Bruce Perky will be recommending. There's also a Vimeo short, some bunch of shorts. And then, Eric, you actually did something I never do since p- pandemic. You actually went out into the world. What did you do this weekend, Eric? I went in, uh, went to the movie theater and oh. to see Antlers. And then uh went to see Last Night in Soho. Crowded for both movies, but screenings or did you? No, go- no, no, I was oh, a, oh. I went to the cheap theater and I was the only person in both screenings. And I had some downtime, so I was able to uh read a little bit of uh, Chameleon by Rick Fisher in Chameleon movies. By Rick Fisher. Yeah. Who's who's that guy? Who, who's well, he? he? He's a wonderful uh Amazon best-selling author. Uh believe it's number one on the Amazon charts. I could be wrong about that, but just take my word for it. Okay, well, you know what? Chameleons, Rick Fisher, it sounds and I like the cover. There's a there's a big palm with a world in like a snow globe or a world on, on that person's hands. It's interesting. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Eric, can we get Rick Fisher on the program? Do you want to have him? What do you think, Bruce? Should we have Rick Fisher on the program? Make it so. Yeah, let me uh <laughs> let, let me hit him up real quick and see if we can. Yeah, here yeah, we go. Hit up, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, here he comes. Okay, okay. Tell you know what? Tell Rick that we're gonna put him somewhere uh, in the middle of the show to make this a very interesting edit. Maybe, right. maybe we'll do. Maybe we'll have Peter freaking a beta from middle class film class drop the beat on chameleons. We'll see what happens towards the end of the program. How about that? Yeah, yo, Rick, drop that beat. <laughs> 
okay, now without further ado, we have a lot of movies to cover. Actually, we only have two featured, but we have some really good recommendations and some recent features thanks to Eric Holmes. Now, Eric, let's start off with one shot. And sir arrived 10 days ago. We the only ones out here? Just us and our guests. Has been trying to build a dirty bomb. We traced it to DC. The detainees that come here do not depart until we've properly vetted. Are you a mean man, sir? That's been a terrible mistake. We screw up, and one of these guys hurts the homeland. It's all over CNN. Uh, something's not right. On me. One shot centers on the head of a Navy SEALs crew played by Scott Atkins. He is assigned to accompany a CIA analyst played by Ashley Green Corey to actually take a terrorist away from a prison base, prison base, a very secretive prison base. And their mission is compromised when a bunch of insurgents attack the base and everything runs amok. This movie is called One Shot. It's directed by James Nunn and it is supposedly one shot. It's the, the premise is it's a, it's a wonder, but it really isn't a, a wonder, is it? It's not a wonder, right, Eric? Because it's got, what did Scott Atkins tell you at the beginning of the interview? He said he wasn't going to tell me where the edits were. So theoretically, it could be a wonder. Oh, well, yeah. He, he didn't he, say it wasn't. He, he just he, said he didn't, wouldn't tell me where the edits were. Yeah, he hinted. And then James Dunn, actually, when I interviewed him, he said there, there this movie is not a wonder. That there were some hidden cuts. So if you want to listen to the full interview, check out our recent Find Your Film post with our interview with Scott Atkins and James Dunn. So it's a wonder, supposedly, with maybe a couple of edits. Also, who stars Ryan Phillippe as well. You know what? Let's start with Bruce Perky first, because we know Eric and I were kind of simpatico with this whole interview thing. So maybe there might be a running bias with one shot. I Look, I give this movie five stars. I'm going to right now, I could watch this movie 500 times, and I just love the bleeping bleep out of this movie. But I want to see someone who has more of a... Ooh, even I on one shot. Bruce Perky, <laughs> let's, let's go. Uh, okay, what will I say? Let's see. As not a big action guy, I would say this is a very fast-paced, fun, solid movie for even not so hardcore action fans. I think you can, get a, you can have a lot of fun with this movie. Um, the way I would describe it, well, first of all, this, you're not going to go into this movie looking for um, some very subtle political... <laughs> stuff so if you have problems with bad guys are bad good guys are good that's 
pretty much what you're going to start with in this in this you know movie that's just the framework you're here for the action and you're here for the stunts and you're here for the kind of dazzling you know one shot premise of this movie now how to describe it i think it's not as flashy and as over the top as something like hardcore henry but it has a little bit and it's not a first person we'll say that right out the gate but it has a little bit of that ethos to it where this is kind of this breakneck kind of very few pauses kind of never ending kind of a labyrinthine action uh story that goes on now what i think is really cool about it and in your interview which i'm sure will be up soon uh you even uh, discussed this with the director what really cool about this movie is you expect okay i'm going to be here i'm going to be with um scott atkins and he's going to kind of be i'm going to be like over his shoulder pretty much the whole time and we're going to move to different rooms and find out what's going on what this movie does is it kind of hands off to different people so there's some really interesting stuff where maybe scott atkins is is sneaking to a certain area of this base you stay on the base pretty much the whole time and you know to do something and then he gets there and then the camera goes away to maybe the bad guys. And then maybe you follow the bad guys around for a while to find out what the bad guys are going to do. So now it kind of does that interesting classic suspense thing, the whole, the bomb under the table thing where now you know what the bad guys are planning. Cause you've been following them for the last five minutes. And then you somehow get handed back to your heroes and you're like, Oh wait, I know what's coming and they don't. So there's a lot of interesting stuff I think in this movie about that. Now, once again, logic, negative negativities. <laughs> the one thing I said on uh, our message group to, I think to Eric was how many people are in that truck? Because <laughs> there's apparently one truck that pulls up and unloads bad guys at some point. I'm not going to say where or how, and I swear there's a lot of, a lot of bad guys. <laughs> I don't know where they come from, but you know what? You need the bad guys because you need more people to get killed in this movie. Um, yeah, it's, if if you like action, this is a no brainer. If if you're kind of iffy on action, it does get a little violent, but it's not gonna it's not gonna make you uncomfortable, disturbed, other than gunshots, basically, you know, and a, maybe explosion or two. I think it's good. I think it's solid. Bruce, did you find the oneer to be exhausting, fatiguing for you, or did you like the oneer aesthetic? No, I, I mean, to me, the the great the great sign of this working well is you kind of forget about it. And I kept forgetting about it being a winner until they all of a sudden followed somebody else. And you're like, oh, that's right. We're, we're, we're staying with people. I just got into the, the story and the action of it most of the time. And I, I kind of went in and out of noticing that it was a winner. So I think that's to its, um, uh, I, I would get, I, that was to that, its credit, I would say. Okay. I'm, I'm glad you liked it. Solid recommend. Rec- solid enough. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. For, solid for- recommend. Yes. All right, so I'm going to throw a big fat softball the size of I don't know a continent and ask Eric. Eric, what did you think of One Shot, dude? <laughs> that's where, my where entire did, review. That's your. That's your. <laughs> no, yeah. that, I, I love this movie. Um, it, it, again, everything Bruce said about the the action and the Warner is like ambitious as hell. But I also like when they kind of break away from Scott Atkins and you get to uh, get to see uh, like the te- like the the they break away with the one guy that has to put on the vest, and yes. you just the camera just stays on him, and you can. Are, are you willing to fight with us? Yes, I'll do whatever it takes. Good, good to hear that. Here, put this on, and he knows what he just agreed to, 
but he has to maintain and the camera does not leave his face you just get to watch him just oh god oh god this is gonna happen this is gonna happen you just see you can almost read his brain as the camera's following him uh they got another character who is sneaking around the the compound trying to find a way out and he finds some clothes and he's putting on different clothes oh does anyone hear me is someone coming and so there was all that suspense in moments like that and then there's other moments where they're in a hallway you know and people just keep coming in coming in someone throws in a hand grenade shit where do we go not many places to hide in the hallway with a hand grenade and it it's just a bunch of mo- it has a bunch of moments like that that just kind of keep me on the edge of my seat and speaking of ryan felipe or philippe yeah philippe yeah I've been calling Ryan Felipe forever, and then I heard someone say Ryan Felipe. I've been saying it wrong this whole time, but I'm an idiot. (laughs) No, no, it's (laughs) but uh, I, I, I really like him, especially in Way of the Gun. And I knew he was in this when I started watching it, but he didn't show up to like about halfway through the movie. And then when he does show up, I was like, oh fuck, this movie just got fucking sweet. (laughs) And uh, I, I think one thing that kind of crossed my mind when watching this is this reminded me of um it's not a metal gear solid movie but it reminded me of it and then i'm wondering why haven't they not cast scott atkins is solid snake this is stupid that this hasn't happened yet oh very good that's as close as we got so far and i'll take it but yes i i love this movie and this is top tier scott atkins which coming from me from my perspective that's saying something because he's got a bunch of bangers and i think this is probably right up there with yeah the this, this might be this might be like top three yeah because yeah. you got you got like undisputed undisputed two and three and boyka is kind of the same movie it's kind of like gremlins and gremlins too i just smash them together and cheat but you got <laughs> undisputed avengement and one shot and this could be number one two or three like it th- those three could swap places all day long i fucking love this movie i love this movie too let's also give a shout out to ashley green Corey, who plays a cia analyst she has her moment to shine as well this goes back to bruce's point that the camera actually it's a wonder but it trains itself on certain characters she has a certain a really intense interrogation moment with amin mansoor he is the alleged terrorist in the film he's played by the actor walid el gadi and that, that actor, Walid El Ghadi, playing Amin. Amin was a person who was looking for that bulletproof vest, and he brings a lot of humanity into the role. Really well-acted film. Also, the bad guys in this movie are really well-edged, too. They're, there's two real big bad guys, <laughs> and yeah. they each have their moment. And I'm not going to say how what kind of moment they have, but it's a really – it's like Bruce said, if you want the action, you got it. And if you are a Scott Atkins fan, this, this is going to be probably top tier. If – I think also just for the acting, I think even though it isn't a, a very like like Bruce was saying, it, it's not this layered uh, existential look at the philosophy of uh, you know warfare and all that stuff or interrogation, none of that stuff. This is just a meat and potatoes action film, action film with a really ambitious aesthetic and also some really good performances. Eric Holmes asked a really great question during our during his Scott Atkins interview, which you guys definitely have to listen to. And Eric, I want you to just. Tell the listeners what Scott said about how you were actually pointing out that movies like One Shot with its with its action packed and ambitious stylings is probably a lot more visceral and a lot more pleasing to you than some of these hundred million dollar action films. Right. And Scott Atkins gave you a really great answer. Do you you remember what he said to you? Well, he said uh, he said they've been doing it for a long time. So, of course, you know, 
it makes sense. And I agree with them. Thing is, like Hollywood's been making action movies for a long time too, but they never quite get to that level. And I don't know if it I don't know if I pissed them off or not. Maybe it came off wrong, but once I started getting into like direct to video action movies, that's where I that's where I found out I was like, wait a second, these things look cool. Like they're they're, better. they're really they're better. doing it. Yeah. And like I'm always that that's what I love about when I watch an action movie, that's what I love most about it is watching watching the magic trick in front of me. And then when they can do long takes, like not even just like one shot where the whole thing's one take, but like even the fighting scenes are usually one take or the camera goes back and you get to see them really duke it out. And it looks like they're getting hurt. It looks like they're getting thrown around. It looks like they're dying and they're not because at the end of the day, it's all a trick. And it's, it's that's what I really love about it. And that's what's impressive about it. As opposed I, to the CGI cut cut every single second version of a Hollywood yeah. film, right? Yeah. Yeah. And now there's movies like uh, Atomic Blonde or the John Wick movies, um, but those are also directed by uh, stunt coordinators. So they know what's yeah. up too. Yeah. But like the, I don't know, I'm not going to shit on Marvel. I'm trying to think of another example. Oh, no, it's no, not a no. We need, we need them to sponsor us and to make us all rich, right, Bruce? <laughs> We're gonna, are we going to sell out for Marvel? What uh, you, we- I, I'll, I'll just say other movies, they don't, <laughs> because they they have the they have the 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 big movie stars yeah. but they're not action stars like scott atkins is an action star shokusugi is an action star uh you know michael jai white is an action star you know these people they're they're great actors but they can also have the physicality you don't get that with liam neeson so when you get liam neeson on set you have to here right double. You, know, you, you have to do a bunch of quick cuts and everything to kind of sell it and then when Scott we, Atkins, we love is, you, Liam Neeson. We love you, Liam. Oh yeah, yeah. He's, but no, no, no. But then, it's like crypto. But then, buy low, buy low. <laughs> oh, but then, good. but then when <laughs> when they have someone like Scott Atkins in a Hollywood movie, he's usually like the you know. It, it's great to see him, but he's they don't. You have gold right there. Fucking use it. He's right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you have gold. And then I, during my interview, with James Dunn, I was I was thinking, hey, this is the kind of guy. Do you agree? And do you guys agree? This guy, James Dunn, with with whatever money he had to make one shot. I mean, yeah. give this guy. I said, give this guy a hundred million dollars, and he said during the interview, hey, I'd be happy with fifty. Can you can you guys imagine what, what he'd do with a lot of money? Give him a hundred million dollars, and he would have made ten one shots. <laughs> <laughs> no but it'll be interesting to see i i can't wait till to see scott adkins and james dunn getting huge budgets for their for their stuff because one shot is really really well done it's a five-star film for me i just really loved it high recommendation for me high recommendation from eric solid recommend from bruce all around anything else regarding one shot by the way the movie hits theaters on Friday, November 5th. And also, if you are like me and you like staying home, you want to stay home, you can also check out One Shot On Demand. Love, love, love this movie. Now, we're up with our next movie. This is a very interesting movie because, first off, Eric Holmes, let me throw it to you. You said, Eric, Eric, you've said that you've loved Scott Adkins' work for a while. Does that mean, by default, you have always been a fan of the work of Jesse V. Johnson? No, actually, because... Um... I watched a lot of Scott Atkins movies and then I fell off for a while. Not because I don't like him, just I, I was watching other things. And then when I came back to him, then he was already, he would already been working with Jesse V. Johnson. And then, so I kind of had a, I had to play catch up with him, but yeah, he's, he's pretty fantastic action director as well. Okay. Well, hell hath no fury. Okay. This is an interesting movie. It's very right post-World War II, like right after World War II, there is a French national named Marie 
Dujardin, played by Nina Bergman. She's rescued by American soldiers, but here's a catch. The reason why they rescue her is they believe she knows where a whole stash of gold bars is hidden, supposedly hidden in the middle of a a graveyard in a cemetery. And that's the only reason why these soldiers want to save her. Probably once she actually tells them what the location of these gold bars, they're going to probably kill her. One of the American soldiers is played by Louis Manilor, who who is a frequent collaborator with director Jesse V. Johnson. And that's pretty much the movie. It's about her trying to play a chess chess game between her and the American soldiers to survive. There's also very quick flashbacks regarding her own relationship with a German like gen- general or soldier or high-ranking official. And th- she's branded a traitor by her own countrymen. And she's obviously branded a traitor by, by the American servicemen as well. So it's this woman who's trying to survive amidst she pisses off the Germans and the Americans really don't care about her. This is the movie Hell Hath No Fury. You want to tell us where that gold is? Maybe we can all go home. I'm doing my best to remember. I promise! If I were you, I'd keep real still, Marie. When the fighting is over, freedom. Ne tire pas. Je suis résistante. Then we're going to tar and feather that girl. She begged us to help her. Promised a major buried treasure. We don't find that gold by sundown. This will not end lastly for you. No gold, Major. You're the one that told us there was gold here, Marie. Viva France! Damn! They here waiting for us? I don't know. She's a liar. Hitler's elite guard. Think there's a chance they just piss us by? Hell no, they're coming. We will let you live. You gotta help us kill these Nazis. You said you can shoot. The question is, can you really? If we ambush them just right, they die. Get it for the We won't stand a chance. You see? She's using you. One clever trickster, Marie. Maybe we put down these guns. We all get a little piece of that gold. We got a deal? No more deals. Eric Holmes, let's start off with you. What did you think of this movie? It's rated R with a runtime of 109 minutes. This was really good, too. I mean, it's no avengement, but it's still really good. But uh, this reminded me a lot of Southern Comfort and that oh, the, very the, good. Yeah. the the ideas that, you know, you're following the Ameri- or actually you're following her and you think she's a good guy, but maybe not. And then the Americans show up. Oh, they're Americans. They're one of us. They're the good guys. No, uh, Germans, obviously, in World War Two will never be the good guy. And uh, it, it's just one of those things where, uh, you know, those pressure cooker things where you can't really trust anyone. And even like, yeah, I don't know if that Southern Comfort is probably the, the best thing to compare it to where, oh, shoot, would uh, no, I don't. Walter Hill, I, I, Southern I, Comfort? No, Swamps? I, 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 I was going to go down a thread. And then as, uh, soon, as, as right thread. before I said it, I'm like, that's going to be a spoiler. So I won't say that. Oh, OK. But, okay. Uh, Maybe. That, that, you, 
Did you see a little a, bit of Inglorious Bastards or or what is that? The the what is the one? Bruce, help me out. The one, the Western, not Django and Change, the other Western. Uh, so that Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight. Hateful maybe eight. In, in, in they're all in sort of in an enclosed space in in a weird way. Even though it's outdoors, did you feel yeah. that kind of mechanic to it too? A little bit. Yeah, I actually I wrote down Reservoir Dogs because I felt a little bit. So I guess I was still thinking the same idea of kind of Tarantino, where you have a bunch of characters in an enclosed space. And you're not sure what everybody's motives are. And as it goes on, it becomes more and more unraveled. Who is up for what and what are they doing and who's double crossing whom and who knows something and who doesn't know something. It it was a lot more um, complicated than I thought it was going to be complex, I guess, than I thought it would be. You know, one one thing about Hell Hath No Fury, it doesn't feel like a movie of today. And I mean this in the best sense because you, you guys have listened. Bruce, you listened to my interview with Jesse, Jesse V. Johnson. He's a huge, like us, he's a huge cinephile. So do you see a little bit of movies from yesteryear, like from the 50s and 60s, if it was upscaled to modern? Do, do you see some of that uh, old school aesthetic in Hell Hath No Fury? And does that work for you in general? Yeah, I do see that actually. Uh, it does feel a little out of time. I mean, it's supposed to be obviously a period piece, but it, it, the filmmaking style and the story writing style is also a little bit out of time. And what really, really struck me, and he discusses this in your interview, which I'm sure everyone's listened to by now, probably. I haven't soon. put it up yet, folks. I'm going to put it up. <laughs> soon. No, Bruce is giving me too much credit for actually doing my job. I'm going to, do, I'm going to, I'm going to put, put this up first, and then I'm going to put my interview up with, with oh, by the way, Health, Health, No Fury, director Jesse B. Johnson. And I got Nina Bergman, too. You guys are going to listen to that, too. Oh, so. I have, yeah, cool. So yeah. what I was going to say is um, he mentioned something which I really, really struck me about, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes into this movie is that the point of view is really odd for a movie like this. Like a movie like this, usually it's going to be the point of view of the American GIs. Whether, you, whether you're behind them or not, they're kind of who you're going with, but you're going with her. And like you said, she's, a, she's kind of a person with no nation. She is, it says hell hath no fury, but really she becomes almost like, like between a rock and a hard place or something, you know, because <laughs> she's kind of got all of these people all scheming to get the information she has and not trusting her totally and sort of trusting her and, you know, oh, dig up a grave over there and find something. And she keeps, keeps on it kind of like kicking the can down the road, you know? Um, but I really appreciated how even her personal relationship with the Nazi dude from before wasn't painted totally as this clear cut thing. So I, I really appreciate it throughout how, how everybody's, um, how your emotions towards everybody is are kind of played with with this movie. Very cool. Hell Hath No Fury. And Eric, going back to you, you liked it. You enjoyed it. Yes. Uh, question though. This was because there was in titles. This is based on a true story or is yes, that... true story. It's based on a true story. Yeah. Okay. Because I, I had no I, idea. I watched the end credits and I go, oh my God, I, I, I was moved at the end. I said, wow, this is a true story. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I would have liked to see the uh, sequel, Like a Woman Scorned. Like, but <laughs> okay, I get, okay. given the end titles, okay. that that's not going to be a Eric. Thing. We're not a comedy podcast, bro. Stop with that. There's no punchline, right, Bruce? Are we're serious? Are we a serious podcast? <laughs> so serious. We're so but serious. <laughs> another another movie that popped in my mind was uh, uh, Fear and Desire. Stanley Kubrick's Fear and Desire. Uh, just a bunch of soldiers acting like bad people, and this, this has some of that. Another there was a scene where one of the Mm-hmm. A guy, a, a guy puts on a uniform, right? Mm. I, you know what I'm talking about, and he puts on the uniform, and this is a small group, so my my mind goes right to no way and fuck that's gonna work, and it doesn't obviously, but that like flip it around, 
the you know the Americans sneaking into a base and putting on a uniform and just walking in like oh everything's fine. I was like, yeah, we buy it. But for some reason, when you flip that same scene around to do it, the other people against the American, we know right away that's not going to work because obviously not. I, I, it was just uh, that was a really interesting flip on that, and it kind of uh, kind of jostled around my brain a little bit, going oh it's uh, I bought that like a million times in the past, and right now it seems weird. To- <laughs> I kind of suck at life. You know, Hell Hath No Fury, we have to mention Nina Bergman, okay? I did interview her. There's a little bit of a bias because she's a really nice person to interview. I'm going to cough for one second, so I'm going to actually pause this for a second. Hold on one second. She's very good in this movie. I haven't seen... This is the first time I've seen Nina Bergman in a movie. And credit goes to Jesse V. Johnson for, for actually casting her. Actually, Bruce, again, you've listened to the interview. Nina Bergman wasn't the first choice. She just, it's like, an, is she, she's like, put me in coach. She, she was actually not the first choice for this movie. And she does a fantastic job as Mary Jordan. What do you guys think of her as a lead? Did she pull it off? Bruce, Eric, what do you think? Yeah, very much so. I, I think this doesn't work half as well if she doesn't do a really good job and you don't really buy her because she's, I mean, she's the focus of the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, Hell hath no fury for me. I was I love Avengement, Jesse V. Johnson's Avengement. I was expecting this wall. I had just seen one shot and I was like, yeah, hell out no fury. Be action movie. And it's, there's going to be a lot of machine gunning. A lot of people dead and all this stuff. Nope. You're not going to get that with hell out no fury. There are, there are bullets to be had. There is, there, there is action. There's, there's action in this movie, but it's really more of a character driven piece. As Bruce was saying that really it's, it's really about a, a woman without a country. So how does she navigate and try to outsmart all these three influences around her with pretty much death right right around the corner for her. So Hell Hath No Fury for me, solid recommendation, Bruce? Yeah, I'd say solid recommendation. I would only caveat, because <laughs> I was caveat. caveat. Oh, very good. Only caveat I would give people is understanding that this is not like a, um, this is not like a gritty, really ultra realistic kind of movie. This is kind of like elevated pulp, elevated almost like neo-noir, but war noir. I don't know how to describe it. So kind of go in with that attitude like this. You're going to get more than you think from the type of movie it starts out. Cool. Eric. Yes. Watch this along with Southern Comfort. It'll be a double feature. By the way, Southern Comfort directed by Walter Hill. Great, great movie. I'm so glad that Eric Holmes, you still still have Southern Comfort on the brain. I'll be honest with you. I think Southern Comfort and The Long Riders are my favorite films from Walter Hill. But what do I know? Because actually Eric Holmes has seen all of Walter Hill's movies and I still haven't seen Hard Times. So I'm assuming that that might be right up on that level. Am I correct on this on Hard Times? Eric, what do you think? Yes, Hard Times is good. I'm trying to think of if I saw all of them because I'm sure there's like one or two that got by me. Oh, okay. But I, I'm trespass? Sure I you see Trespass? You saw Trespass? Yeah. Wait. Ice Cube. Okay. See, there you go. Yeah. Do you ever see Streets of no. Fire? Ever heard of that one? Yeah. yeah you see that one? No, never. Never, never heard okay. of it. You know, it's a good. You know, it's a good movie. It has some good music. You should check it out. Uh, there's oh. a guy named Ry Cooter. He plays. A, he does a score for that. You know, yeah. maybe check it out. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, folks. You know, if you listen to the past podcast, Eric Holmes is just uh, bows down to anything Streets of Fire, and he loves that. That's probably, I would say, one of his favorite. I think I would say safe to say you you prefer it. I know apples and oranges, but you prefer it to the Warriors, right? You love Streets of Fire so much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Streets of Fire, the Warriors, Bruce. Come on. I would probably go with Streets of Fire too. Streets of Fire is a little more fun. Okay. Okay. Last Man Standing or Barry Lyndon, Bruce. Come on. Oh God, Barry Lyndon by a mile. <laughs> how about you? How would you, Eric? Last Man Standing. Sorry. Last will, Man Standing or, or or Barry Lyndon. What do you think? I will watch Barry Lyndon one of these days. <laughs> oh, again. 
One of these days, you will watch Barry Lyndon. One of these days, I'll watch Rosemary's Babies. Rosemary Baby. Rosemary's Baby. And then one day, Bruce, what will you watch? Uh, some Wong Kar Wai. <laughs> Wong Kar Wai in the mood for love. Yes, I can't wait. Which to wait. is in the box now. So. In the box. But thank you, Matt Stillman, for that. Rec- oh, it's kind of a recommendation. It's uh, it's a recommendation from Suri Chang mm-hmm. from Snakehead. So she loves yeah. Wong Kar Wai's. And also, we've been doing a lot of interviews. We I, I just posted that a couple of days ago. So a lot of stuff down the pike for Find Your Film. We're not just a weekly review show. We get, once in a while, we get some interviews. And for some reason, the last several days, we've gotten like about 500 interviews. And it's going to be on your feed very, very soon. Those are our two featured reviews. Let's start off with recommendations. Eric, you have a recommendation? Antlers. Antlers. Scott Cooper. Interesting director. I love Black Mass. I love, what else? Oh, Hostels, I think, is an underrated Western, but Antlers, I don't know. Anderson was mixed on it. He still recommends it. Do you recommend it? Did you love Antlers? Was it a good mesh of drama and horror or not? I don't know if I recommend this, and I'll explain oh, why. Oh, okay. But I did love the ever-living shit out of this movie. Um, That's, uh, it doesn't I, seem, it, that seems incongruous. In, incongruous? Incongruous? Yeah. Incongruous? I, I, Bruce, I what is it? Incongruous? Oh, sorry. In Congress, what? in Congress, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't make sense. How about that? Is that better, Bruce? Maybe layman's yeah. terms. It doesn't make sense. My fault. Yeah. So I I was talking on the Cinematics Facebook page today because there's uh there's a creature in Antlers, and I yes. thought before the movie came out, I I was pretty sure what the creature was, and I'm a fan of this uh you know uh stories about this thing. And so this Antlers is the movie that I kind of, I put it like this. Someone saw me, uh, you know, thinking about this creature. I was talking about how, oh, they should make a movie about it. And then uh, Guillermo del Toro came up to me and says, oh, yeah, you like, you know, I was thinking uh, we could do a movie about this. And this, this is what I'm thinking. This is a script. I'm like, well, that's fantastic. Yeah, who would you get to direct it? I'm, you know, Scott Cooper, he, he'd be pretty good because you got to get real dark. And he's like, okay, Eric, we'll be right back. And then they went away and they moved, made the exact movie about this that I wanted to see. <laughs> but then why wouldn't you? That's weird that you wouldn't recommend it then. I would not recommend this because this movie is dark, like really dark. And it may be because one of the characters looks almost identical to my nephew. And that really, <laughs> that really kind of twisted. Uh, I, I nearly cried a couple times just because right. I felt so bad. And and the kind of the setup to the story. I'm not even sure how much of this we should give away because this almost works better if you go in cold. Okay, cold. But at the cold. same time, I want to say the name of the creature, and I won't. I would. We talked about uh, Undine. Undine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, Undine. Uh, yeah, Undine. The, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Love that movie. Yeah, very good. And, very good. And so. Yeah. We, we all watched that movie, but we didn't know what it was. And yeah. of course we looked it up later. And, and once we looked it up, we kind of started putting the piece. Oh, okay. This, this means that this means that, you know, not quite familiar with this, but maybe that's a cultural thing. I think it would behoove people to look up what the creature is and maybe do some, do a little homework before going in. Because I think if you do that, you're going to get a lot more out of this movie. On the other hand, if you want to go in cold, which you could also do, you don't watch the movie for what it is. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. But then you look up what the what the creature is, and maybe that'll start filling in some gaps later on. Because um, this this uh, creature has a certain certain aspects about its lore that I always thought would make a cool movie, but I wasn't quite sure how to tie it in. And the way they tied it in with abuse 
and uh, child neglect and all that works absolutely perfect for for what this creature is. It's almost like a perfect metaphor. And and you wouldn't recommend it because for some people it it could be triggering. So you're actually warning some viewers before that's probably why you wouldn't recommend it to a segment of cinephiles maybe yeah and and also just the main the main setup of what's going on with the kid and his dad and his brother there's stuff going on there that i won't give away here and i don't think we should but it's just heartbreaking i I mean this this just played with my emotions and and then just set them on fire pretty much and I appreciated the movie for that, but I, like you say, I think there's a lot of people that'll watch this and be like, I too heavy, man. I can't, I can't do it. Kind of, kind of like recommending dance from the dark. Mm. It's very hard to recommend that even though it's a fantastic movie. See, Bruce, this is why I love Eric so much. He is a humanitarian. He cares about people's feelings. He warns them. I would, if we're dancing in the why dark. Why am I, I being set up here? If we're dancing in the dark, for dancing in the dark, people would ask me, should I see dancing in the dark? I go, yeah, it's a little frolic in the sunset. Check it out. There's Bjork. Musical. There's some mu- you know, people music, singing. musical, people singing. Happy day. Antlers. I like Scott Cooper. Why don't you give it a shot? Go in blind and don't do any reading. I'd probably do that to people and, and uh, surprise them. But. Eric, thank you for that very thoughtful review. So it's very good. This is actually interesting because in all seriousness, that this seems like a very dense movie, Eric. And it seems, do you think there's going to be people who will really, really love Antlers because of the lore? There's going to be a segment that are just going to really, because I remember, and I just got, I just talked to Anderson this morning and he was saying that his problem was the horror and the drama with the tragedy did not mix for him. He yeah. ultimately recommends it. But for you, I want to ask you, did you find both genres Ultimately, whether it's triggering or not, did it meld for you as a story? Did you? Yeah, because the, the horror makes sense with what this creature is and the lore of it. And the drama, I think, marries in with it. It's hard to explain without explaining, you know, sure. it, it's kind of like trying to explain Dune without being able to explain why it's great. But I, I, I would just say the more you know about what this thing is, either going in or if you watch it once, find out later and then go back and watch it again, you're going to see, it'll probably make more sense with how the lore meshes with the, with the human drama. So you ended up loving it. You ended up loving this movie. Yeah. It's a lot more seamless than it seems. Okay. That that was a weird sentence, (laughs) but yeah. Antlers. All right. Antlers. Interesting. Are you excited to see Antlers, Bruce? What do you think? I already saw Antlers. Oh, you saw what? what? I thought, look, I'm supposed to read notes. I'm, I'm looking at my Google Doc. Oh, Antlers, Bruce watched. What does that mean? Bruce watched Antlers. Okay, I'm sorry, Bruce. What do you think of Antlers? I'm sorry. I should read my notes once in a while. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Like, rewind it next week for you. <laughs> no, 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 no. Very quickly. Did it, did it, did it work? Two, two uh, it things. Worked. I wasn't as hot on it as Eric. All the stuff he loved about it, I loved about it too. The stuff I Good. didn't love about it was the some of the tropey or human stuff that happens in the second half of the movie, that stuff kind of drew me out slightly like characters being the, the, the stuff you see in horror movies, just characters being really, really, really dumb. <laughs> so. okay. And you, you don't like the tropey human stuff, Bruce, because like me, you don't like humans, right? You're not a big fan. Exactly. No, <laughs> <laughs> all the main character stuff and all the darkness. I would, I would absolutely sign off on the, this could be really hard for a lot of people to watch. Yeah. And uh, it's dark. The first half is super dark and focused. And the very ending is super duper dark. <laughs> and I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. Um, and Eric wow. is agreeing with me. Yeah. Wow. Super duper dark. It, wait, you had reservations with this movie. It's flawed, Bruce. 
Yeah, well, it's, it's a step where it's yeah. it's a solid. Yeah, it's it's. I would say it's a to me it's a mild recommend because it okay. drew me some of the things drew me out too much. Like um, and I know they had why they had to do it, but when you have the Native American guy come in for one scene just to explain the lore with his magic book, that's a little that's a little bit like let's find another way to get that information out to us, please. Or when you have a character that goes into a place that smells like rotting something, and there's a door that's like padlocked shut, and then there's blood on the walls. Eh, let's just keep going. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, See, what, what's I, say I, you? I, what say you, Eric? <laughs> uh, well, first of all, the uh, Native American explaining it, and actually, he's probably like Native Canadian, I think. But it, regardless, um, that, <laughs> the, native, that's, the Native Indigenous person. How's that? <laughs> yeah, they, there you go. Um, that that person would be the one that knows about this. Like at a one hundred percent would absolutely right, know. but, but just pop them in for one scene. That's what I I, I, I I get it. I get it. I'm just saying. <laughs> That that would be the one person that that knows every unless they had me and then they're like what the fuck's this white guy doing <laughs> explaining how <laughs> I have that legend. person be the damn sheriff in the whole movie is what I would say <laughs> yeah there you go but uh, to your point um like when they walk up to the house and they smell something that's yeah. see I I get it I get why yeah. the the why what they did after that pulled you out because I get it but I was so excited that they noticed yeah. that smell. That, like all the all the little details they got right i was so jazzed about that that when they did something stupid i'm like yes i, I don't even care yeah dude they got that one part right and so. once again i'm not saying it's bad i think it's totally fun and entertaining yeah. I mean, this has a great creature it has some great like aftermath of creature stuff i'm just saying like it's so consistently tonally and narratively solid that when it does that it just it aggravated yeah. me it aggravated me i was like you could have you could have you could have been a contender you could have been perfect <laughs> okay on the waterfront I, mean, I, I, I would say to your point though i get that and i think a lot yeah. of people would have that same reservation the reason it went right over my head was because i was excited about other stuff they were doing within the set but would you also those... agree eric some people are going to like that stuff the best some people are going to be like that's the movie yeah. i want to see and they're not going to want to see the other movie you know the movie mm. that the part of the movie that we like the best there's yeah. some people are gonna be like oh finally this is getting what i want it to be it's just a monster movie with people doing dumb stuff and yeah. getting killed <laughs> so and i i would also say that uh I, I, we need more movies like this with this creature in it <laughs> okay so that's <laughs> cool zombies have been done to death let's do this one a couple more times I'm, awesome. i'd be cool with it so antlers gets a strong recommendation from eric holmes a mild recommendation from bruce perky and yeah all right that is antlers currently in theaters as we speak now bruce what's your recommend give me a recommendation from this casablanca director what you got <laughs> oh casablanca that's the one <laughs> <laughs> michael curtis yes curtis. michael curtis curtis whatever yeah curtis he's, he's, i don't know i never got to talk to him about it so i don't know how to say it um <laughs> let's, let's just so be, decided, let's say curtis because that's a very bougie thing to say michael curtis how about that yeah <laughs> I had been listening to um, uh, Joe Dante's. He had like a whole Halloween series this last couple of weeks. And it was just a bunch of people coming on recommending movies they thought were pretty cool. And I had never seen the 1933 Mystery of the Wax Museum. And when I saw who directed it and I saw that it was like the same year as King Kong and just after I think he did um, Dr. X, I was like, oh, okay, I got to check that out. And I've seen House of Wax a ton of times. The um, the 50s version, it has uh, Vincent Price and I think Charles Bronson in a very early role. So I didn't know that that was a direct remake of this movie. And it really is a direct remake. Um, this movie stars, well, it stars Faye Ray. So she's mm. in two giant movies that year. Faye Ray is awesome. For all of you who just heard her name and never really 
like watched her and stuff. She's pretty damn great. Uh, Lionel Atwill is in this as the <laughs> wax museum artiste, Ivan Igor. <laughs> so <great>. Ivan Igor. <laughs> and, what a um, name. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then the main actress in this movie is uh, played by Glenda Farrell. And you might know who she is better than I do. I, she seems like she's been in a ton of stuff back in that era. But this movie is a lot of fun. If you like these kind of 30s, I mean, it's more mystery than horror, but it's just got that amazing art deco like set design and production values. This is color. This is one of the super duper early color movies. So it's it's pretty faded color, but it's still kind of cool. And the thing that's kind of interesting about this too is it, it's it's played almost it's the mystery of the wax museum. So it is kind of more of a mystery. And really the, the driving force is the Glenda Farrell character. And she's kind of this, you know, gumshoe. I'm going to go get the story fast talking or a lot of quipping, you know, back and forth between her and her editor. And she's going to get the story. She's going to, she's going to get the scoop and she's going to figure out who's been, you know, robbing these bodies and stuff. And in the meantime, you have all this amazing, you know, art, art deco style, you know, universal almost style early horror. It's, it's, if you dig that kind of stuff, it's worth a look because it has a, a lot of fun aspects to it. It looks still pretty. It doesn't look faded and whatnot because of, it's 1933, Bruce. Yeah, it looked it looks really good. And the thing about a lot of those movies, if you haven't watched movies from that era, when these get restored, they look some of them just look fabulous. Mm. You know, all the old Frankenstein's and some of those because they were really at such a high level as far as set design and everything and they made these giant huge really interesting sets. I mean, like the Black Cat, we talked about the Black Cat a little while ago and how that had this really interesting design. Yeah, it's 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 really cool. Okay, very good recommendation. And obviously, Michael Curtiz, he's directed Casablanca and one of the things he look here's another couple movies he's done in 1945 he directed the Joan Crawford film Mildred Pierce it's another big movie he did and I'm, I'm looking at, at some of these other movies the jazz singer in 1952 and a little bit of a movie there <laughs> yeah and then uh, also 19, 1954 he directed White Christmas which was a big hit I remember watching that as a kid there's this specifically there's this movie called The Proud Rebel it's a western starring Alan Ladd and Olivia de Havilland as a Western fan, I enjoyed it. And the thing about Michael Curtiz is he had a he had a career that lasted over 40 years. And for some reason, or actually about maybe 35, 40, close to 40 years. And he was very underrated, did some classics. But still, to this day, I remember there was a book that was released some years back just chronicling why his work is so underrated, why he as a director was so underrated. But this is very cool. This is a pick on Hulu, right? You can watch it on Hulu. Yep, it's on Hulu. And they've got it. Uh, it's, it's a restored version i think they had just discovered the full color version of it relatively recently and that's what you're going to see so it's really cool eric holmes have you ever seen casablanca i've played street fighter and there's a character named blanca <laughs> you've never seen i've it. never i've never seen this house though you've never seen aren't you a romantic eric it's a, it's a, it's a story about war-torn love and and there's a guy named sam he plays piano and when you tell him <laughs> not to play it not to play that song again he starts playing a song that you you don't want to play it and it's a it's in morocco right isn't it morocco bruce and it's, what do you did, did so. are you are you a casablanca fan bruce do you like that movie what do you think Oh jeez, it's good. <laughs> I, I think that in Gone with the Wind, I've seen like zero I've times. Probably seen the whole thing. I no, oh. I probably see the whole thing, but not in one shot. Like pieces of it here and there. Okay, now let me ask you a question though. Do you think Casablanca is better? Would probably be better or worse than this new Edgar Wright film called Last Night in Soho? Eric, what do you think? You saw the movie? I think it would be worse. 
Ooh, but some because... people might not agree with me. So <laughs> oh, this is oh, this okay. Be... That's clickbait. It's, it's better. I'm gonna I'm gonna at uh, Edgar Wright on Twitter and just say it. he Eric Holmes says it's better than Casablanca. But what makes la- last night in Soho worth a watch for you? Is it it's Jallo references? It's the mystery. What do you think of the movie? Well, I need, so first of all, I need to back up a little bit because I saw Antlers. And that movie wrecked me emotionally. And I knew that I was going into what, because I was double featuring them at the, at the theater. And I knew that I was going to go into last night in Soho. I'm like, Oh, thank God. We got an Edgar Wright comedy coming up next. Cause that that's going to bring me down. You Wait, know, when you double feature, 20... Are you in the theater though? You, 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 did you go back to back on these? Yeah. Oh, very cool, man. Yeah. I haven't done that in years. So oh. I, I went to when antlers was o- over, I had like 20 minutes before, Last night in Soho started before the commercial started. Uh, luckily, I brought this uh, wonderful book called Chameleons by Rick Fisher with me, and I got to read that some of that and you know keep keep my head down. I wouldn't oh, happen to pay attention to the uh, you know what the Eric? trailers. Which I, if you don't like to watch trailers in a movie theater, bringing a book with you and reading that's much better than uh, using your phone. No, no, you know what? Chameleons, Rick Fisher. Did you get him on the horn? Maybe after this review, maybe we'll have him on the show. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I'll see if he's still waiting in there. Yeah, he's still waiting in there. Yeah. We can, okay, we can okay. We'll, we'll put Rick out right, right after the last night in Soho. So last night in Soho, Eric. So anyway, you're so anyway, Antlers wrecked me emotionally, and then I read a bit of Chameleons. Uh, that brought me down a little bit, and then last night in Soho was starting. I'm like, here we go, here we go, and I was not prepared for this because last night in Soho, it's got a couple funny parts, but this is not. If you if I didn't know ahead of time that this was an Edgar Wright movie, I would have no idea. This feels more like a Brian De Palma movie than anything else. Why am I not like, seeing this movie? Wow. Okay. I, I don't know. Is, this a good <laughs> Brian De Palma, is it a good Brian De Palma movie or a bad one? I would say so, but I mean, you're the expert. Maybe it's not a Brian De Palma movie at all, and you'll mm. watch and go, "Eric, you're full of shit." But this is what <laughs> this is what I thought when I saw it. Okay. Um, it's uh oh shit. What's her fucking name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anya Taylor Joy. Yeah, Anya Taylor Joy. So events. Sorry, I'm kidding. So you got the you got the not Anya Taylor Joy, but the the other girl. She moves to Soho. Before that, she's talking with her grandma, and she sees someone in the mirror. It's not Anya Taylor Joy. It's someone else. Um, but you you learn right away that she sees things. Whether these are dead people, people in the past, it's not real clear, even as you go on through the movie. One thing is clear that once she goes to Soho, she ends up at this apartment loft, I guess, upstairs. And this old lady's renting out this loft and she's renting it. And because she wants to concentrate on school and being in the dorms, this wasn't working for her. And she goes to sleep and she wakes up and she's like in 1960s Soho. And she walks into, uh, you know, this big club and she walks in and you've seen it in the commercials where she looks over at the the mirror and it's her and Annie Taylor Joy's in the mirror. Yep. And so throughout, every time she goes to sleep, she gets more and more of Annie Taylor Joy's story. It keeps progressing. And you learn quickly that Annie Taylor Joy is a woman coming into Soho wanting to make her name as a singer and a dancer. Uh, she's got her, she's got her, you know, the bright lights, the big city, that, that sort of thing. And she's got her dream and she wants to follow it. Well, in order to follow the dream, she has to put up with a lot of uh, abuse, mostly sexual abuse. And the movie just keeps 
getting worse for her as it goes along. And the, the girl that's kind of living her life through the dream when she's not asleep anymore, the, the nightmare starts coming to life with her until where she can't tell if it's, if she can't tell if it's a dream or, you know, dreams and realities become blurred at that point. This actress is played by Thomasin McKenzie and Thomasin McKenzie. That's right. She's best yeah, known for her work in leave no trace. Yes. And it just keeps getting, it just keeps getting more and more kind of depressing as it goes along and more and more kind of mysterious and weird. And then it gets to the end and there's a part at the end where I thought that Edgar Wright was just going to fall on his face. It seemed like he was taking a position where I was like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? (laughs) Like, this is the point. But then he brings it home. I think he brings it home and it becomes... I don't, I don't know what to say. It, it, this goes places and I really appreciated where the end goes, but it's not a, it's not a happy ending. How about satisfying? You feel it was satisfying? Did you like, did you love I, it? it? Did, did it have its it, flaws? What, what? Well, no. That, so without a doubt, this is Edgar Wright's best ending of any of his movies. Cause it got me thinking some more, but again, I just saw antlers. I didn't want to think some more. I wanted something <laughs> fun to watch and yeah. this wasn't it. Not to say that this is bad. Uh, this, this is a really good movie. But yeah, that, that ending got me thinking of uh, some stuff and it got me really sad for, you know, it got me sad for all the characters involved. And it kind of got me thinking about because people still put up with this stuff today. You know, this is 1960 Soho. We're in 2021's Earth and this shit still goes around. You know, it still goes on and it's it's really sad. Um, I mean, there's certainly some thrills and some scares. You know, it's ultimately, I guess, a ghost story, sort of. Um, so there's some of that in there. But this movie went a lot deeper than I was expecting it to. But it doesn't really get there till the very end. And it just kind of got me, uh, kind of got me introspective, you know, thinking deep inside, thinking about the world around me and how ugly it can be sometimes. And I hope that's not lost on anyone, uh, everyone who watches this. Uh, this movie I, more of that, Thomason's movie or is it Anya Taylor-Joy's movie? I think it's more both, of Thomason's movie. Both. Okay, both. Got yeah. It. Yeah, because you're following Anya Taylor-Joy, but Thomason, you're following her through Thomason's. So it's kind of it's kind of both of them. There, there's stuff that works really, really well in this, and it's not something I was expecting from Edgar Wright, but I'm glad he did it. Yeah, the, I think the ending might be a problem for some people. But I like ultimately where he went with it just because of how it made me feel after that. And then reflecting on how society is after that, I think is kind of important. And I think people can get a lot out of it. Okay. So that is Last Night in Soho, directed by Edgar Wright. Bruce Perkier, are you an Edgar Wright stan? Do you love his stuff? Do you think he's overrated? Do you think, what, what do you think? Middle of the road? What do you, what's, what's his thing? I, I always am interested in what he's doing. I, some of his stuff I really like and some of his stuff I think is okay. But I, I, I like him overall. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm excited to see you last night in Soho. Solid. Strong recommend, actually, strong recommendation from Eric Holmes. Currently playing in theaters. Before we get to Rick Fisher and Chameleons, Bruce, you got one more recommendation. You saw a, a couple of shorts. To, yes. You, you wanted to big time us with a couple, a couple of these shorts, huh? A little uh, style Well, there. no. Actually, I was thinking about this. Like, we were talking about, you know, how when you get physical media value ads and all this kind of stuff. Well, yeah. I don't have the physical media for physical media of Thunder Road. I should. Or yeah, Wolf of here. Snow Hollow. I should. Yeah. Or the beta test, which we'd like to. So if you want to get the extra features, here's a way you can kind of make your own extra features for um, Thunder Road. And that is, you watch Thunder Road, you're kind of interested in it. And 
if you haven't already, and once it gets posted, um, you should stop right now, go listen to Eric Holmes' interview with uh, Jim Cummings and PJ McCabe, and then come back and uh, listen to the rest of this episode. And then you can watch these shorts as supplemental value added. So what they did, they made two shorts. They're about 25, 30 minutes each. I don't know if Eric ended up watching them or not. There's Sundance 2016 and Sundance 2017. And I think PJ was the one who mentioned that this is some of the favorite stuff he's ever done. And what's really cool about this. So they were going off to Sundance 2016 to see how Thunder Road would do. And this is the short, I believe, at that point, I think, if I remember correctly. And he ended up winning. They didn't know that when they left there. And they basically are shooting the experience of going there. But as you're watching it, you quickly discover they had already planned on making this kind of mockumentary of their own experience of going to Sundance as they're actually going to Sundance, not knowing that he's going to win. And it ends up becoming really interesting because Jim Cummings plays up his character as Jim Cummings in a way that you might not expect. So then, (laughs) and surprisingly, they actually win while they're there and it becomes a whole thing. And then in the Sundance 2017, they do it again, but this time all three characters, three characters, it's him, PJ McCabe, and I forget the other guy's name, but he's like uh, their manager quote. I don't think he really is. I think that's the one person that's just kind of a friend of theirs pretending to be Jim's manager. And after the debacle of what happens in 2016, oh, that's a giveaway. There is a debacle. 2017 is them reuniting and going back to Sundance for a different screening, which I won't tell you what that is. And all three of them have crazy arcs that occur. So it's a, it's a ton of fun, very light, 30 minutes each, and really great, basically add-ons. If they're not on the DVDs or the Blu-rays, they should be on the DVDs wow. and the Blu-rays. Okay. Sundance 2016, 2017. And you're saying there's another uh, short called The Procedure? The other, the other short is The Procedure. <laughs> Did you watch this one, Eric? I think you that might the, have. Uh, is that the not come out time to yeah, a yeah. table? <laughs> that was PJ McCabe. <laughs> this is three minutes long. Well, all these are on Vimeo directed by calvin reader they suggested this one if you want to see how you can make really low budget comedy this is probably um i won't say what kind of joke it is but this might be the one of the best versions three minute versions of a certain type of joke that's ever been put on film it's not Mm -hmm. for the faint of heart it's i pray oh not okay (laughs) Okay. it's crude right (laughs) i I would put this up there with uh, norm mcdonald's moth joke it it, it takes so long to get to the punchline and when it gets to the punchline it's so stupid but so funny (laughs) it's like i can't believe i waved this on for that but bravo but it's norm Norm mcdonald's what what joke i I didn't hear you moth joke moth joke moth yeah if you go on youtube and look up moth joke conan o'brien he basically tells a 20 minute moth joke (laughs) oh it's so funny Okay, so, this is just only three minutes. Yeah, the procedure is three minutes long, so you can. And it watch stars, it stars McCabe, right? PJ McCabe. I don't know. It doesn't star either of them. They just suggested it. They said, this "Oh, they is just suggested." Okay. This has kind of inspired them on like how you could get so much of so little, and how it kind of inspired them, like you know, as a super independent filmmaker, you can make something that really can work. And obviously, they keep doing that. Very cool. Okay, so that is again the procedure. It's a short on Vimeo, and also another couple of other shorts. With PJ and Jim and their supposed manager, who's really not their manager, Sundance 2016 and Sundance 2017, all of these shorts are available to stream, not to stream, to check out on Vimeo. Okay, so we're done with our recommendations. Now, oh, there is a knock on the door. Who's that? That is Rick Fisher. Hey, wait. Yo, Pete, drop that beat. Who's in the box? 
What's in the box? You lie! No! What's in the fucking box? Eric Holmes has a really special guest, a person who has a skill set that neither me nor Bruce. Bruce, are, are you a writer? Do you, do you write things other than your, your signature on, on a check? What do you do? My name on a cup. You know, yeah. Do you know how to spell your name, Bruce, on a cup? Can you do that? <laughs> B-R-O-O-S-E. <laughs> I can barely spell Greg. So Eric Holmes, bring some literacy to this episode. Who do we have for our guest this, this week? Today we have uh, Amazon's best-selling author of the hit book, Chameleon. We have Rick Fisher. Hello, Rick. Again, Hello. <laughs> this is take two. How, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Rick, Rick's a member of, uh, we have a writing group that's what, what we do uh, uh, once, a, once a month tentatively. <laughs> when Sometimes people... we write, yeah. Uh, but uh, Rick, Rick had uh, written a novel called Chameleon, and I'm currently 90 pages into it, and it's, it's pretty good. First take, I was going to uh, explain what the story is, and I saw myself just floundering through that. So maybe you can kind of uh, give the give the short pitch to anyone interested in reading it. Sure. So the narrator, it, it's first person. Um, he ends up at this corporation that works for the government um, in coalition with the government. And what they do is they have to selectively erase people's memories based off the severity of their crime. So there's two p- types of people at this organization and it's either people that are criminals or people that have faced something really traumatic. And as he becomes more invested in this corporation, uh, he starts to unravel secrets that are aligned there and, you know, more kind of sinister things going on within the organization itself. Um, and then you find out characters that are have connections to each other, things like that. So I, well, I guess the first question is, how, how long have you been writing this? Oh, boy, it took. So it actually started off as a screenplay. So. I get the comment all the time, uh, including you, I think, 30 minutes before we were on the podcast. No, I only ask original questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, people say, like, when they read it, it, it feels really cinematic. And I usually appreciate that uh, because it, it did start off as a screenplay. I actually pitched it. I went to Burbank right out of college. Um, so I was there for a weekend, and I pitched it to all these different film executives. And there was... A lot of interest to it, but as soon as I came back to the States, uh, I didn't hear from them again, which is kind of how that usually goes from what I understand. People seem interested, but like to actually have someone on the hook, you know, it, it just, it's rare. But I I felt encouraged by the people that were, you know, expressed interest or to have so many people ask me questions about it that I realized like I really want to explore the characters more. I wanted to flesh out this story and I thought I could do more with it than just keep it com- like comprised to a screenplay. Yeah. Uh, one one of the things I like about it so far, and we talked about this off air of uh, with the science fiction, it's kind of hard to get going because there's so many, so many brand new concepts um, that uh, that this particular world kind of throws at you. But then once you get going, it's real fun, especially like watching the main character kind of uh, uh, gets chosen to become a, a luminist. And then they get, then they get to go on their first kind of uh, job, I, I suppose you would call it. Um, and you just kind of get to watch this world unfold, and it's 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 quite fun. Um, I, I never quite know what's coming. Like I get the idea of what's coming next, but I never fully know. And and the especially the first uh, the first job because they have to basically while one guy's kind of prepping the guy, the other person has to get rid of everything that could 
trigger his memory to come back. And the the amount of detail you have in the uh, process that they go through is pretty staggering in a very good way. Yeah. And I think, I mean, yeah, that's mostly intentional because I wanted to, I was very specific how I wanted the characters to interact. And I wanted it because it's coming from a first person's perspective. Uh, it comes from Craig Dawson. I wanted everything that's happening to be facilitated as if he knows what he's talking about. So I didn't want to be explaining all the technology to the, you know, readers. Um, basically he's interacting with the world as if he knows everything, like this is all regular day life. So I know that's some things that have kind of been a little more difficult for other people. Um, and it's meant to be, it's, it, I, hope it rewards like kind of revisiting it and going back and seeing some herrings that were laid out to hatch like different ideas and things like that. So Rick, how not, long did it take, oh, sorry, how long did it take for you to, to write this just in general? And then also I'm sure you're getting a lot of people asking you, there's a, is there a difference between getting a publisher or self-publishing? How hard is it to actually get a book published when people ask you that question? Is it sw- really swimming upstream or is that a myth? You can, you can do it if you have enough determination. Yeah. So no, I'm glad you asked like, because I went the route of self-publishing for two reasons. And one was kind of shamefully exactly what you're talking about, Greg, where I know a lot of people that are writers and I just listen to their, you know, their sad stories about like, Oh, I've been trying to get a publisher for years. I send, you know, I query all these people, I send them letters and stuff and I don't hear back or I hear back and I get rejected. Uh, so I just decided to kind of streamline that process and i i said if i self-publish i can avoid all the rejection um as long as i feel like i'm putting out a good product right but um so it was much easier for me because as long as i had the money to support like getting the editor getting the proper you know cover designer i didn't need an illustrator luckily but uh formatting um those are all things that kind of out of pocket, but that also gave me a lot more control over what the design was like. A lot of times, if you publish with a traditional publisher, like they're going to choose your cover, they're going to choose the different, you know, aspects of your book. But it was kind of cool because like I got to choose all that. I had to kind of keep saying it back and saying, okay, tweak this, tweak this. Like they'd come back with a new idea. And then I'd say, okay, this is pretty good. I like, you know, these changes, but I still need these changes. So um, it was a very collaborative process, but the whole time I felt like very in control of it. Like I had all control over the design and everything, but how long it took me to write it. I think I started writing it when I was like a sophomore in high school. And then, like I said, I, I pitched it after college. So and then from there is still, you know, I'm 30 now. So, um, and I just published it this year. So it, it was a while. Unf- unfortunately, like COVID, not a great time for a lot of people. Um, I was able to make the most of it with really having time to write, honestly. So that, that is really, really cool. And I'm sure w- with your self-publishing, I'm sure you're thinking about, I was just thinking when you were answering that question, all of the awesome books that were really well-written, great stories that are buried because they don't get self-published. They get to a publishing house. They bury it with a horrible cover, illustration, horrible marketing. I, I can't even imagine the scores of books out. Have you ever thought about that? The scores of well-written books that just get an early grave because yeah, of, yeah, for sure. And I mean, and you guys are familiar with that, but as far as movies too, like how many movies don't get made because like they don't have funding or like brilliant ideas, but they can't you know, take it to the next level. But yeah, for sure. And that was another reason. Yeah, I said I was doing self-publishing for two reasons. The other reason was to basically learn the whole process like I wanted to go through all the steps I wanted to learn so that I had you know because I didn't plan on this being a one and done I planned on it being like a this is learning the process and then in the future I'll have the confidence to do it again and hopefully again and again and again but um, we'll see where it goes but yeah there's definitely 
there's a sadness to art because there is so many talented people that just don't get the opportunity or, or don't pursue it for one reason or another. Another. So I'm sure this will change in time, but with what you've went through to get Chameleon self-published, uh, if a listener right now, uh, let's say they have their novel written, what what are the steps that they go that you might be able to impart to streamline that for them? Like what yeah. websites do they go or where do they submit it to or what, whatever the process is. So I think one thing, um, you know, people can always argue about the bad things about the internet. Right. But one thing that's great about it is the connectivity. You know, we have our writers group where we get together and we're all kind of in the same boat. Like we want to write stuff and we want to work on stuff and we can bounce ideas off each other. Building that sense of community, really important um, to know other people are kind of in that same ship with you. And then to remind them it's not sinking, right? Like it's okay. Like we all have issues. We all have procrastination problems. We all have different life things that get in the way of what we want to do. But what I always, I guess, tell people, and I mean, I'm by no reason, like I consider myself a student and will be for a long time, but things I've learned from other people is that you have to write something when you love it as much as when you hate it. Like if you hate it, you still putting word to paper it's much better than just sitting there for like two hours being flustered and not putting anything down. That's what editing is for. Like you have the opportunity to go back and always like change things. So a, a few people I will mention, and perhaps you've heard of her, but because she, she's kind of a big uh, booktuber, but her name's Jenna Moresti. Um, she's a person that she does videos actually every Wednesday. Uh, so she puts a, a video out. I've become a huge fan of following her stuff because she constantly has like a feed of like, these are the top 10 tips for writing this, or these are the top 10 tips for writing this kind of character. Just really great information. Um, she She's a best-selling author of a series called like the Savior's Champion series, um, Savior's Sister. She just goes through that process. And she also, you know, talks about doing Skillshare. Like there's so many different ways to get knowledge or yeah knowledge or any kind of competence or anything with writing because there's so many different avenues out there sometimes that's a hindrance because you don't know what outlets to go to and you find yourself doing more research than writing but that's just kind of the the problem of it sometimes so what's uh what what's uh what would be your next novel or do you not have an idea yet or well Uh, if i could like snap a (laughs) finger and go here's $10 $10 million or however much it costs to write a novel. Like what, what are you writing today? I've been, I've been working on it. Um, I won't say where it's at. And I will, I will say it, it's definitely whereas chameleons was, you had talked to me about trying to um, talk about what inspired chameleons. And I honestly don't know, which I feel like is a bad cop out, but I think subconsciously a lot more affects me than I realize. Cause I can definitely see like a mix of ideas. I could see like some minority report or something in there. I was a big fan of that movie when I was younger. Um, The next project is going to be fantasy. Uh, So like young adult fantasy. So there's a little bit of just, I know it's a horrible thing, but when you pitch your book to readers, you're saying this has a splash of, I know, I know Eric Holmes, he's a huge Harlan Ellison fan. Is it a touch of Ellison or maybe a touch of Philip K. Dick? What do you, what, what, what's that like really easy tagline that you can pitch people? Oh boy. For the second one or for the first one? For the one right now, Chameleons. For the one right now? Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely say a bit Minority Report. And I think Phil K. Dick, I think, wrote that. So um, I guess I'd go with that. Uh, I, I, yeah, I still have trouble pinpointing it. Because like, like I say, like all of our ideas come from somewhere. I used to always say like, I wish, I wish I'd grown up in like the 70s or 80s before the internet, where I didn't feel like I was writing an idea and I was stealing ideas from other people at the same time. 
but you, I just don't think that can really be avoided anymore. Like everything's been written, everything's been, you know, you can still have something different and unique and authentic, but it's usually comes from somewhere. Right. Yeah. Hold on one second. Bruce, what was it like when you and I were growing up in the seventies and eighties <laughs> to actually have something without the internet? What was it like, Bruce? Come on. What do you think? Was it, was it, what, did we have an, did we have an imagination like as good uh, as Rick or Eric or were, were I we think still we were told what our imagination was based on whatever was showing on TV that week or what we could possibly see in the theater. And that was about it. So yeah. That sounds uh, like a very Orwellian statement there, Bruce. What are you doing? There's pluses or minuses. Hey, I want to throw one little quick thing in. So you kind of talked about how you had it originally as a screenplay or you're thinking it as a screenplay and then um, kind of reimagining that or repurposing it more into novel form. Do you see a value or an advantage to having to kind of look at it through both processes? I think I did. I know the screenplay. So I actually had a screenplay for the second one I'm writing now too, but it kind of depends on who I talk to because some people don't like, like they say it, it feels cinematic. And I think some people don't like that. Uh, like I had a comment from someone who's, who's a good friend of mine as well, but he just said, uh, the story is so like well envisioned in ways that like, he likes to be able to imagine things himself. And he said, there's room or areas where like, he didn't feel like he could, like I described it a certain way and then he had to see it that way. So I thought that was really interesting because obviously I'm still learning everything, but like, I never really thought of that. I just know I've, when I like see things in my books and things like I do see it very specifically and in a particular way usually, uh, but I didn't realize like how that could kind of like hinder someone else. Um, so that was really interesting. But for me, it definitely helped with the writing aspect of it for sure, because I feel like I was able to write it a lot more because, you know, in, in, a, in a way, like I did have all my beats, like you hear about people that ha- like write all their beats out or you know, have their bullet points, whatever. And I basically had that laid out by having the screenplay done already. So I, so after I finish this next one, it'll be interesting because I don't have that next phase for it. So it'll be kind of going from scratch. And, and I'm figuring that out too, like whether I'm someone that likes to have a lot of ideas or let ideas percolate or sit with me or go and like have a bunch of notes versus not having notes. And I've, I've done both before with different things. And I, I don't, I still don't have like my formula down, but. You know, your friend who said that your, your book chameleons is too cinematic and whatnot. And he wants to imagine more, maybe a good idea is just to give him the book jacket of chameleons and give him <laughs> a book with blank pages and then just put imagine on the first page. But before we let you go, Rick, we want to ask, Part of our Find Your Film universe is asking filmmakers and now authors to name some of their favorite movies. Can you just right off the top of your head, name a couple of movies that really stick with you today, not just on a sentimental level, but resonate with you as a writer and more importantly, as a cinephile? Yeah. So I know you guys will like this one because I think you mentioned it on a different podcast, but Blade Runner was very like instrumental to me. The original, I, I like the new one too with um, Ryan Gosling, but like the original with uh, Harrison Ford was like kind of what made me start writing. I just thought that was such a cool thing with the replicants and everything. Inception was pretty mind blowing for me at the time and also changed a lot of how I viewed cinema and like ideas and another uh, fight club, Donnie Darko. Like I, I love like psychological things, thrillers and stuff. So very cool. And finally, Eric, we're going to, you're going to have the last question, but before your last question, Eric, where can, People, okay, Amazon, do you have a website? Are there Twitter, Instagram, so we can just link you on our show yeah. notes? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the website, uh, you do have to have the HTTPS colon 
backslash backslash or forward, but then it's just rickfisher.com, R-I-C-F-I-S-C-H-E-R.com. All my socials should be on there, I think, but if they're not, I believe Instagram should be at Rick J. Fisher. Facebook is author Rick Fisher, I believe. So people will be able to find me, I think, but um, yeah. I guess uh, I will throw my last question to Bruce because he might have a certain box that he needs to fill. Yes, yes. Okay. Before I do that, I just want to mention, warn everyone, if you get the slash going the wrong way, you will end up on the dark web and you (laughs) will get (laughs) part of your (laughs) brain subtracted by the system. Okay. Uh, Now, so we need to put a movie into the box. Now, this Mm -hmm. is a little different than like your favorite or most inspirational movies. We try to put a movie in there. It doesn't have to be, but we try to put a movie in there that um, you think is underseen or underappreciated. It's like that movie that you have a friend over and say, oh, you haven't seen this? You got to watch this. Do you have something like that that we can put into the box? I do. I've, I've been thinking about it. It's it's one that every time I bring it up, people are like, oh, I haven't seen that. So I hope I hope it, it's just not my friend group or whatever, but it's uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Right. Yes, I have. Very, very I, would re-watch, I would rewatch it. Yorgos Lanthimos, and I can't say, I won't say much about it, but if you remember, I think most people know Requiem for a Dream. Very unsettling movie, uh, really resonated me, with me when I was younger. And then this was kind of the first movie since that that kind of gave me that gut punch that uh, Requiem for a Dream did. It, just really interesting, kind of about karma, a little Greek mythology in there. If you know the tale of like Artemis and Agamemnon, you probably have a pretty good idea what it might be about. So very, very cool. cool. Yes. Yeah, I, I was going to say thanks for coming on, and I will see if the next writers group provided it happens. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thanks for having me. And, this is great. And uh, anytime you got anything coming up, let me know because we'd love to have you back on. Sounds good. Thank you guys so much, Rick. Very one more thing: when when you see Eric's pages when he's giving you and wants your honest opinion, no. please can you just rip it. Rip the pages in front of them and say, "I no, no." Oh, yeah, yeah, you can do that. <laughs> Usually PDF files, but you can try your hardest. <laughs> Send them a virus. All right, thank you so much, Rick. No, this has been great. Thank you, guys. All right, take, take care, man. All right, and we're back. <laughs> oh man, do you think it was wrong for us to leave him in that like Squid Game type room with <laughs> for so long? Yes, Rick Fisher, author of Chameleons. We just put him, we, we were making him watch, listen to every single episode of Middle Class Film Class now. He's in a room, Squid Game, and he has to answer all our questions regarding Pete, Pete uh, Abeda's chairman of the board, Middle Class Film. What, by the way, Bruce, you listen to Middle Class Film Class. What are you, how different is it, is it from our universe? You like it? You like it a lot? You like it? Yeah, I do thorough? like it. They're, I mean, it, it's Tyler's just like good. And- Yes, uh, Tyler is great, and Joseph is great, and Peter Bader are great. I mean, they're just like us. They have their own personalities, and the difference is they've kind of feel like they've been friends for a long time, so they have a lot and, of inside jokes. And we're not friends at all. No. Oh yeah. Okay. Very good. good to know, folks. If you want to hear a podcast with uh, Eric, do you co-sign on this? We're not friends. I will not stand for any of this. You guys kiss and make up. Right now, now. now if, if he breaks big on this, this crypto that he's doing, now we'll, we'll readjust this. Yes, yes. Don't, don't say crypto three times and Tony Todd Pierce. Now, last but not least, what do we got for what's in the box, Bruce? Well, we had suggested by Carlos Lopez Estrada, Do the Right Thing from 1989, Spike Lee, which I don't think I have seen since... 1989 or 1990 I, I i saw it in the theater and i liked it but i mean i just never returned to it so i don't know if either of you have returned to it in any recently i saw it, it a couple college years ago. Stu- oh really okay yeah a couple years ago for me i saw it as a, a college student 
And I, I think there was a speaker right after it, but I remember being blown away. Actually, I saw a double feature. It was a Spike Lee night. I saw she's got to have it. And then right after that, do the right thing. And that opening moment, it's that Rosie, is it Rosie Perez dancing? Yeah, that, Rosie Perez, fight the power. Like oh my that. gosh. Yeah, that, that scene, that opening scene still stays with me to this day. And obviously the music. So how does it live up how, 30 years later? I think it ages really, really well. For me, it ages really well. And in context, I'm not a huge Spike Lee guy. Spike Lee to me is one of those guys that like, he always has really interesting ideas and he always has flashes of brilliance. But a lot of time his movies, a lot of times to me, his movies are super uneven and just don't quite gel. But for some reason, I think that at least with this one, he he really did catch lightning in a bottle. I know taking a very... um daring a take on this movie that it's good everyone pretty much agrees that it's a great movie but um for people who haven't seen this what i think works really well about it is it's unlike a lot of his movies this is so character driven it's idea driven too but the ideas are equally important to the characters whereas a lot of his movies the ideas kind of overpower i feel like his characters and here it's also a, such a great construct you've got the simple little block in Bedsty, I don't know what area is. Is that somewhere in Brooklyn-ish area? I'm assuming one of the boroughs or something. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> anything about New York, so forgive me. But it's like the hottest day of the summer, and it's a day from you know Mookie, played by Spike Lee, waking up first thing in the morning. If we didn't mention Spike Lee, uh, first thing in the morning till the end of that night, and then the very beginning of the next morning. So it's basically like approximately a 24-hour period, the hottest day in New York, and it's just you got this kind of crucible. Of characters and you just got every kind of character and it it almost seems like it could be a play but in a in the best way i mean it's just colorful character after colorful character you know you've got the you got the three old dudes just sit there and watch everything and they're kind of like the the greek chorus and you've got you know mookie who's just running and doing his thing and trying to work for the italian pizzeria and you have the late got- late actor bill nunn is radio raheem i remember him he's so good Radio Rahim is amazing in this movie. And he's just constantly walking around with his giant radio playing only public enemy. That's all he does. And it always is causing trouble. And he's got the love, hate giant uh, knuckle rings on. And you've got uh, who else is in here? Um, A really young, a really young Martin Lawrence, which I did not remember. He's like one of the kids and he's in here and he's like, gotta be, I don't know, 15 or something. Yeah. You got John Turturro, you got Danny Aiello. You've got John Savage comes in in a couple scenes. uh, Ossie Davis. I mean, this movie is so bright and energetic. This just shows him firing on all cylinders. And I think that it also, unfortunately, is really pertinent. And it sucks <laughs> that it's so pertinent. I mean, it's almost like yeah. and the, the whole point. This is okay. This is what I think is really value added to this movie. Other than it's just a great movie. Is that you watch it. And I can imagine people watching this now who are maybe, what, 20 years old. And have heard of it, but never watched it. And they watch it and they might be like, oh, wow, he was predicting the future with this movie. And the whole point is, no, he was just telling you the reality that's already been for a long time. And then when you look at that and realize, oh, this is made in 1989 and that was already a known reality and it's still a reality. It's it's kind of it's pretty rough. So but it's great. It's a good movie. How'd you see it? Oh, I saw it on Amazon Prime. It's a bunch of places. But you can get it on Amazon Prime if you have that. Okay, so that is Do the Right Thing, directed by Spike Lee and Eric Holmes. You, when you saw it two years ago, still held the same power for uh, you? No, I think it was more than two years ago. So I was going to say, I think I saw it on VHS, which is... Oh, that's, 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 that's been a while. <laughs> 20 years ago. It's <laughs> at least been on DVD. But yeah, it's been a while for sure. Okay, 
So that is it. We are done for the for this week. Again, Rick Fisher's Chameleons will will put, provide a link where you can actually purchase it on Amazon. We'll we'll provide a link for that. And um, oh, first. I always do this. What's in the box, Bruce? We have to <laughs> we have to shake the thing. Shake, shake. So, but we got to promote the next week instead of what's in the box. Next week we'll do Captain Coon's. What does we call it? A uh, hidden gem. Hidden gem. Yes. But We've already decided on it. Before yeah. that, yo, Pete, drop that beat. We didn't do that yet, did we? Yeah, we did. We did. Oh. <laughs> but well, guess what? Yo, Pete, drop that beat one more time. <laughs> Who's in the box? Oh, what's in the box? You lie! No! What's in the fucking box? All right, guys, we're back. <laughs> All right. What do we got this week? I've had a lot of new things, so it might be something new. We'll see what it is. Oh, I hope it's in the mood for love. I hope it's in the mood for love. It's not. Oh. It's a movie that just came up recently, and I haven't seen it for at least 20 years. Bobbleheads. Um, suggested by Brian O'Connell. Oh, hello, Brian. A 1988 movie. If you guys haven't watched this. Brian movie. loves movies from the 80s, by the way. I, I yeah. will say this. I, I, I love him for that. Didn't he suggest um, Tough Turf? Was that his, was that, was that? I his believe thing? so. Yeah, <laughs> he also we did. Love. I think he also did Mega. What was it? A Mega Force. <laughs> I write these. I put them in the box. Look at this. Look it. at this. Brian O'Connell on our Cinematics Facebook group. By the way, listeners, if you're if you got into this portion of the podcast, if you join us on our Cinematics Facebook group, I give away a Blu-ray DVD to two discs every week just for for being a member. All that stuff. Join us. We have some really good, really interesting cinephiles like Brian O'Connell, Matt Stillman. Who else? Who else? William Lindis. Some more. Give me some more. Uh, Grant Boston. We love you, Boston. Who else? Chad Andrew Wilfong. Martin. Chad Wilfong. So many, so many really interesting people giving some movie recommendations. Also, people giving away their movies anywhere passes, like Leslie Davis, and again, the aforementioned Mister Wilfong. Also, Brian O'Connell just posted this twelve minutes ago as we were recording this podcast. Speaking of eighties, I said, remember how much he loves eighties movies? Okay, twelve minutes ago, he just posted this up. Asked the question to our our Facebook group. Night Shift from 1982 versus Dr. Detroit, 1983. Thoughts? Eric Holmes, answer the Dr. question. Dr. Detroit. It's been a while, but I, I remember liking that a lot. Although, did, didn't, I I get, Night Shift. Night didn't, Shift, I, didn't that friend. get canceled? What? No. The Dr. What? Detroit? I thought, I thought I heard something in the news recently about oh, uh, just, uh, just Dan Aykroyd canceling that movie. Oh, really? Interesting. Okay. Maybe. I, I, I could be wrong, but I, I remember Dr. Judy Trey was on regular rotation, but I haven't seen that in decades. Well, look, I have not seen Dr. Detroit. Bruce, you have seen Dr. Detroit. You're saying Night Shift over Dr. Detroit, right? Yep. Eric, I'm so old that I actually saw Night Shift in the theaters. And this was the first time, if I recall, the lead actor in that was Arthur Arthur Fonzarelli, Henry Winkler. Wasn't Henry Winkler the lead in Night Shift? And then it was co-starring, if I recall, Michael Keaton. I just remember really loving, it's by the way, Night Shift directed by Ron Howard. I remember Michael Keaton was the big wise ass in that movie. And I, even at 11, I go, this guy's going to have an amazing career. He's yeah. so funny. And I still haven't seen Night Shift since 1982, which is uh, It's a coming out party for Michael Keaton, for sure. Oh, Night yeah. Shift? Okay, yeah. cool. So Brian O'Connell, it's weird. I actually saw on our Cinematics Facebook group, we just answered your question in real bleeping time. So what do you oh. think of that? So what movie am I going to watch? I don't know. Bobbleheads Ak- 2. Akira. Yes. Oh, Akira. Well, whose choice was that? Was that your choice, Eric Holmes? No. But I uh, wasn't that yeah, Joe Bridges? Joe Bridges? Joseph Bridges? Did a, Akira? That... Bruce, who, who picked it for you? 
No, it's Brian O'Connell. I told oh, you. Like, oh, Brian O'Connell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, hi, well, yeah, Brian O'Connell. Brian O'Connell. Hi, Brian O'Connell. Hi, welcome Brian. to Find Your Film. Uh, yes, yes. Bruce Eric's is a complete dumbass, and, <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm dumb Greg, too. Greg and, likes and, the moonlight as one once in a while. So. Yeah, I, I moonlight. <laughs> yeah, some fly by night, some fly by day. I I do it all the time. I moonlight oh. all the time. Okay, if yes. You haven't yes, seen Bruce. Akira. If you haven't seen Akira, I haven't seen it. You need to watch Akira. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah, Eric's watching. Greg, Greg, you're gonna want to jump in on this one. Uh, really? I, I, it's it's been a long time, but I re- I don't obviously I didn't remember Brian O'Connell, even though he said it like a couple seconds ago. But in already how many times did we mention but Brian O'Connell in this episode? Brian O'Connell, Brian O'Connell, Brian <laughs> like O'Connell. A lot, a lot of times. But um, <laughs> I remember when he put that when he suggested this because mm-hmm. I was I was waiting for this to come up because it's been so long since I seen Akira yeah and I was I was just waiting yeah. for an excuse to go check it out again so all right but, all but right. yeah Greg I I would check this out from what I remember it's it gets weird and it's pretty cool and the animation's okay. fantastic it's I like will the do foundational anime from the last what. 30 years, 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. Is another word for anime cartoons? I, what? Yeah, was, no, no, cartoons. I think Bruce? the man- manga is Japanese comics and Japanese anime is the animation. I'm send it. <laughs> send Greg into the wrong lug, the wrong shop and have him say anime is just cartoons, right? It'll yeah. Just, I'm going to, I'm not going to survive. I'm not going to, I'll be censored. I'll, I'll end up like one of the characters from censor. Buried in Funko Pops. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, no, you know what? Years ago, someone told me, you know what I got to do is I've actually got to wa- read the graphic novel of Akira and then watch it. But look, I don't have time to do that, but I will definitely, I'll, I'll jump on board on this and I'll check out Akira as well. Brian O'Connell, thank you so much for the recommendation. We'll be back next week for a review of Akira. And we have a couple of movies that actually I don't know yet. I think there's going to be a documentary that we're going to do on Julia Child and maybe another couple of movies as well. Eric, you have anything to say before we go? I love you guys. Love you too, man. Aww. Bruce. Oh, thank you, Bruce. We're, as as you, per usual, we're signing off with you. I love Brian O'Connell. Yes, and so do I. Brian, we've said your name way too many times. We're not going to say your name ever again. We will see you guys next week and you too. Brian O'Connell, next week on Find Your Film. <laughs> <laughs>